Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithfield, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, February 25th, we're studying Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. When the Pharisees and the scribes confront Jesus with their thoughts about his disciples' improper hand-washing, Jesus teaches them and the crowds concerning the true worship of God and the true cleanliness that avails before him. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Harrison Goodman. Pastor Goodman serves as the pastor at Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Pastor Goodman, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Pastor Goodman, as we get started, give us some context. Where are we picking up here in Matthew's Gospel at the beginning of chapter 15? All right, so a lot's been kind of happening. We, we finished up uh, the death of John the Baptist and the feeding of the 5,000, and we know from, uh, from John chapter 6, it's parallel, just how abrasive uh, the feeding of the 5,000 truly does end, where, where we see many of uh, Jesus' followers beginning to abandon him over his teachings. Uh, as we, we start to move towards what would be the transfiguration, and then finally uh, Jesus setting his face in towards Jerusalem to, to go and bear the cross, the teachings become not just um, more direct, but but even um, more abrasive to those who would hel- hold on to this this righteousness apart from, well, Christ. And so as we, we pick up then, we see this, this encapsulated in a, a matter of washing your hands uh, to make yourself clean before the Lord. And, well, Jesus' disciples are, are not doing that, like you said. And the Pharisees are, are very disturbed by the, the fact that they would abandon these traditions. And Jesus hits back hard today. So, so this mm. is where we're going to be going. I appreciate how you brought that out as the, the feeding of the 5,000 and, and we see people start to walk away and Jesus is only going to make it harder. He's going to keep with these abrasive teachings. And 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 I think that's a good way of, of looking at where we are here in Matthew's gospel as, as things are going to get kind of rough. We're going to have some bright spots in here, but but there's going to be some really tough teachings and, and it does really start to to hit it hard here in Matthew chapter 15. So let's go ahead and just jump right into the text this morning. We're in Matthew chapter 15, beginning at the first verse. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and... Whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. That's the text for today, Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. So, Pastor Goodman, at the the beginning of the text there, the, the conflict comes to Jesus 
He's in, in Gennesaret in the previous text. And it says that Pharisees and scribes come to him all the way from Jerusalem. So they've, they've traveled quite a distance to come bring this dispute before him. And they want to talk about why his disciples break the tradition of the elders, particularly the washing of hands. Maybe it, it's, it's probably worth our time just to, to say this phrase, tradition of the elders. What is that referring to? And then specifically, what is their problem about the disciples' hand washing technique? Right. So, I mean, going right to the point, uh, they're not upset that the disciples are, are breaking anything given by Moses, but that which was given by the elders, uh, that which was given by uh, the, the Pharisees themselves as a, a way to make sure that you're following the commandments of Moses. Um, and, and so as the, the the Pharisees are traveling. I mean, you can see them just getting more and more upset as they kind of talk to themselves along the road because they traveled quite a way. They've had nothing but time to stew on this thing. And you see it just sort of get bigger and bigger in their minds. But this is um, this is a bigger problem than just a, a minor dispute because it, it points out uh, something that's going on inside of the Pharisees' minds and hearts when it comes to how to interact with God. Uh, and, and that's that they very much understand the fear part, but the love and the trust might be might be missing. Uh, what the Pharisees are doing, what the elders are doing when they say there is there is tradition among the elders to, to wash their hands in a very specific way before they eat, not just a general uh, cleanliness kind of way, but but a, a ritualistic cleansing. It, it's it's to make sure they're extra pure before they, they would go before, um, well, anything that would be viewed by God so that they can be extra sure not to not to defile the commandments that are given by Moses. Uh, it, it's sort of like when when we might be cooking in the kitchen and we know that the stove is hot and I, I don't want you to touch the stove, uh, little child, and so I'm not even gonna let you in the whole kitchen at all. Even though there's no commandment against being in the kitchen from the Lord, uh, I'm gonna set up this extra fence to make sure you can't even get close to uh, to being near, being able to, to defile uh, the, the actual commandment. And it seems like a practical thing on the surface, but but in reality, when you recognize why Moses was was being given these these commandments to to hand over to the people in the ceremonial law, it was to give Jesus even before Christ was incarnate, it, even before the, the, the second person, the Trinity became man, it was to point to everything that he would be for his people. And so um, there's this same pattern that's happened, and it's not a new thing either. I, even it happened all the way back with, with Adam and Eve in the garden, is that when we don't quite understand the way God's working and we try to stand further back from him, while well, we actually end up, while trying to remain safe ourselves, end up standing farther back from the God who was actually given protection to us in these commandments. Um, so I, I mentioned Adam and Eve. So we can go back to the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which is the first place you really start to see man enact extra boundaries, extra rules when it comes to the worship of God. Uh, Luther speculated when, when he saw the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil that God didn't call this a bad tree. In fact, God beheld everything that he made and he saw that it was good. When, when God gave this tree, it was not simply as a trap because that's not a good thing. And quite frankly, if he's God, he really ought to know what is going to happen in the first place. Uh, Luther says he gives this as a church, a, a place for Adam and Eve to go and worship the, the mystery of the divinity, uh, that, that they can go and behold that there actually is something bigger than themselves. And so there really only is one commandment when it comes to this tree, just don't eat it. Genesis 2.17 however, shows Eve when confronted by the serpent, adding extra commandments to this. She says, not only should you not eat it, don't even touch it. Don't even go near it. It's dangerous and it can hurt you, um, which, which makes sense because, well, I don't want to die. But here's the thing. If, if God gave this tree as a church, uh, uh, Eve is saying, stay farther away from church. What she's really confessing here is not simply a, um, a point of clarity about the gift, but a confession about the giver. That tree right there, I know God said it was good, but I'm pretty sure it's not. And that says that I'm pretty sure the giver of that tree might not be so good either. We need to be really careful around that guy. And in the same way, the Pharisees um, and scribes and, and their elders, uh, when, when they come up with all of these extra traditions that, that would impose extra rules for extra ceremonies, for extra cleanliness, what they're really saying is, guys, we do not have a loving and merciful God. We have a vengeful God who is just looking for an excuse to, to pour down wrath upon us. So we better be extra careful because these ceremonial laws that he has given, they are not gifts that would point us towards the Christ. They are burdens that we better carry the right way or else we will be lost. This is not of the gospel. This is holy and completely and totally of the law. And so 
well, we need extra rules because I, I don't trust you. <laughs> hmm, hmm. That, that matter of not having a believing that we don't have a loving and merciful God is actually right where Satan goes next there in Genesis chapter three, after Eve states that, I mean, that's exactly what Satan says. Look, God knows that you're going to have something good if you take it, right? I mean, he he pictures God as holding something good behind his back and he's not, not giving it to Adam and Eve. And that's, that's exactly the temptation then that Satan throws at her next. and, And the temptation then that, that Adam and Eve go ahead and eat, reaching behind God's word, looking for something good outside of what he has said. And and that I think is where we're going to see the the Pharisees. They're they're looking for good outside of what God has said or in addition to what God has said, adding these rules that that ultimately as Jesus is going to point out that those rules that they've added totally make them miss the point of what God actually said. So so Jesus you know they've as you pointed out the Pharisees the scribes they've had all this time as they've been walking along the road to, to think of all their arguments how they're going to you know I can I can picture them sort of I, I do this when I've got a conflict right I'll, I'll figure out well he's going to say that so I'm going to say this in response right mm-hmm. and yeah, and the Pharisees think they've got it all <laughs> they've got it all laid out in their head and and Jesus doesn't doesn't even play their game he he comes at them pretty hard doesn't he Oh man, he just goes right for the jugular. It's fantastic. Uh, they're convinced that that Jesus is going to argue with them on their own traditions, and he just hits them right back over the head uh, with their own argument, but in light of its truth. Uh, I'm not even going to mention the elders. Why have you broken the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? In other words, why have you set one against the other? Um, because these things that you have invented to keep yourself safe from God, you're actually setting yourself against God. And you see this quite frankly in the fact that you have started to abandon his commandments because you think your traditions are safer, if not easier. Hmm. So what's what's the example then that Jesus brings up to make his point? He mentions uh, something that, that was happening at the time, uh, apparently, um, that you can essentially take what would be given to your parents uh, to, to help support them and, and give that directly over to the temple to, to support uh, that system. Jesus goes right then for the fourth commandment. Um, and he says, look, this is quite simple. Um, honor your father and mother. You actually should be taking care of them even as they have taken care of you. Uh, to, to leave your parents in their old age destitute um, so that you can sort of skip God's created order. You can skip over the vocations that he has given that that um, you would be supported and you would lend your support to your neighbor so that you can sort of try and have this one-on-one relationship with God directly and earn something that way. Um, that That's a perversion of everything that God has created. And so in light of these practices that have become, I, I mean, I can understand why this would be a, um, if you were, I don't know, running a large organization with a lot of bureaucracy, uh, something that they might be pushed. Like, look, the church, the temple can make uh, a little bit of extra scratch Right here, we'll just sort of um, tell people they can set up these these programs, and, and the money will just come right to them, and, and you won't have to worry and look at it, look at this great thing that you're doing. But the question, first and foremost, is who have you been given to serve? And I mean, this is something that also would have continued during Luther's time with uh, all of the problems of the monastery in, in his day, where people were abandoning their, again, vocations. They were leaving their, their wives and children. They were leaving their parents and, and the, the commandment given to honor your father and mother and also included in that to care for your children uh, so that they might try and have this one-on-one relationship with God. Uh, the problem is that when God has established this, this order, he's given us uh, not only the commandments that would tell us to love, but the vocations which would even start to shape this love and pair us up with one another. The problem comes when we don't like the people we're paired up with or we don't like the ways that we're being paired up with them. And so we, we, we're convinced we have a better system in mind that's way more holier because we're not going to deal with sinners. We're going to deal directly with God. Jesus just gets right after them in this. And it's completely out of left field from what they're expecting. And so that argument that you won in the shower didn't go the way that you planned it, um, which is frustrating for them, I'm sure. But, but Jesus then simply says, look, for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Look, you have, you look what you you have done to your father and your mother. Um, and how can you then say your heart is near the Lord, even if that temple is in fact where the money is going? Hmm, right. So they've, what, what's happening is, is the people are allowed, or the Pharisees, the scribes, allow the people to set aside some sum of money for so-called holy, I'm using air quotes right here, holy right. use because it's for the temple. 
And and when they did that, then they wouldn't be bound to use that money to support their parents. And so what they had determined, their tradition had all of a sudden totally replaced what God had said in the first place. And and what what is perhaps just so pernicious is that it was being done for a so-called holy purpose, right? This is for the church. So of, of course it's okay. But but because they're ignoring what God had actually said, their tradition was was totally, well, I think we could say damnable, couldn't we? Absolutely. I mean, this is what the Ten Commandments show us. And and so when we deal with then any system in place, uh, whether this be a moral thing or not, you, you simply can, can re- find out if this is a good thing or a bad thing by asking, where does it fall in light of the Ten Commandments? Because mm-hmm. inside of the Ten Commandments, we are shown that which is, is good and that which is evil. And because of its, its evilness, uh, well, like you said, damnable. So when we go then to see this thing put in place, what, what you would see then is um, potentially an, uh, a third commandment issue to honor, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, but but also a fourth commandment issue, honor your father and mother. But the thing is, the first table of the law, this is all about, and you see this in the catechism, receiving good gifts from God. The first commandment, even though we are called to fear, love, and trust in God above all things, we are, we are pointed to the God then who would have us not pursue idols that can't actually save us. The second commandment tells us not to misuse God's name so that we would actually know who our God is. We would hear the truth about him. We would not chase after um, not only false gods, but false understandings of the true God. And then the third commandment was given, um, and we see this in arguments over the Sabbath with Jesus himself, not so that you can prove to God that you love him, but so that there is time for you to receive from him his, his goodness and mercy that he wants to give to you. Um, the second table of the law is all about not only how to give, but also to receive good to your neighbor. The Pharisees' tradition flips both of these on their head by, by trying to starve their parents to give good gifts to God. They don't want to receive from God. They want to earn something from him. They want to buy something from him. And they're, uh, they're not giving the good to the neighbor that they are called to do. Um, in light of trying to pursue some righteousness before God, they have only condemned themselves by, well, casting aside that which actually shows what righteousness looks like. So Jesus comes at him with a quote from Isaiah. Where where does this Isaiah quotation fit in? What's Jesus' point when he brings it up to the Pharisees? Right. Uh, Jesus quotes from Isaiah, The people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Teachings as doctrines, the commandments of men. And this is uh, um, a quotation, too, that, that shows up in our, our Lutheran confessions quite a bit. Um, it, it's a recognition, uh, I, I, just on the simplest terms, that your intentions don't matter here. Uh, in fact, I, I think there might be just a, a, an old-fashioned saying about your, your good intentions and, and pavement uh, that, that is, is applicable here. Because everybody, when, when we come then to, to church, and we see this today just as well, um, they, they very well mean to do good. But the problem is, the farther we lean into our intention, the farther from God's word and, and command, God's, God's gifts and promise, we focus. And so even as, as Jesus quotes Isaiah, the people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. We go to the Pharisees and the scribes and, and their elders, which have set up this tradition, which on the surface seems like it would honor God. I mean, after all, you're supporting the temple. But where is the heart? It's so far from God who has actually given the commandment and says, if you want to honor me, honor your father and mother because I'm going to work through them. Um, and, and so then the vanity of, of the worship isn't just that it's it's flashy and, and um, it's that it doesn't work. When we hmm. start to teach as, as doctrines the commandments of men, we always end up setting aside the commandments of God. Hmm. And, and so... Pastor Goodman, I'm not sure where to bring this up, so maybe now is the time to do it. One of the words that that comes up multiple times here is the word tradition, and and Jesus uses it in a pejorative sense. I think pretty much every time these traditions of men, and and well, you you Lutherans, you love your <laughs> traditions, right? So so how do we? Maybe this is the and we've got oh, six and a half minutes here on this side of the break, and it, it, this conversation can continue on the other side too if we need to, but but how do we? Well, I mean, is Jesus getting rid of all traditions? What? How do we? How do we think about these things with in light of what Jesus says here? Right. Um. So when we talk about this, uh, Jesus doesn't say all traditions are bad. He says the teachings that you're using to oppose God's word are bad. That the traditions then are, are given in in this way. Um. 
either they're going to be about you or they're going to be about God. Uh, so in our Lutheran confessions, we grab hold of this verse a lot. Actually, um, in our formula of Concord, when we're talking about audiophora, um, matters of what would be indifferent, that, that are neither commanded nor forbidden in the scriptures, but also um, not just there's not a Bible verse about it, but aren't being used to confess something that would otherwise be false, aren't being used to otherwise confess something that would go against God's word. So when we talk about then our human traditions, and in our Lutheran church, we actually have a bunch of them, right? I mean, I mean, um, we, we, we wear vestments uh, with the liturgical colors that I can't find for the life of me a Bible verse about, but I know are very important. We make the sign of the cross, which is a, a human tradition, although I would argue a very important one that, that my uh, small catechism tells me to do every morning as soon as I wake up, every time I go to bed. Um, it's put upon me in the divine service by a pastor who seems to know that this is an important tradition to carry on. But at the same time, what we want to hold distinct are the things that are worship and the things that point to what worship is. Um, when, when we talk about worship, it's something that God has instituted and God has commanded. Worship is commanded by God, but it's also explained. And so I know that worship would be to hear his preaching. I know that worship would be to be baptized. I know that worship would be to eat and drink Jesus' body and blood for the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation given to me within these gifts. Um, when we talk about tradition, though, we can say, look, there are things then that are human traditions. What color we set up during, for example, the season of Advent. And you'll see places where um, we really don't need to have a huge fight over whether or not it's blue or violet. But there are also human traditions that would seem to point against whether or not Jesus' words are true. And so, for example, there, there was a human tradition for a while um, that Lutherans, when celebrating the Lord's Supper, would only use white wine because, well, the red wine by the Reformed churches who said Jesus' body and blood aren't truly present there. Look, the red is a symbol. It looks like blood. You guys get it. You're thinking way too hard about this. This is just symbolism. And we said, this is wrong. Our Lord has said, this is my blood. And so we used white wine because it's God's word that is joined to the wine that makes it his blood. And so it doesn't matter what it looks like. It matters what God says about it. The traditions always teach something. And we have this in the rest of the world too. All of our traditions, all of everything that we do, it confesses something. And so we wanna be careful when we go before the world to just simply ask, you know, what is being confessed in our actions here? Um, and so we could say then, it, it, there, there are helpful confessions to make and there are unhelpful confessions to make. And these things might change through time. And so, for example, uh, the rainbow, the sign given to Noah, uh, is a wonderful Christian symbol that has been perverted by our culture to the point where uh, you probably shouldn't wear a rainbow stole, Pastor, because it, it makes a mm. confession that I don't think you intend to make simply by, mm. by associating yourself with, with uh, groups that would have co-opted this symbol for something else. It, it's no longer a helpful thing. Um, and, and to insist that you have to wear your rainbow stole, it goes against God's word. Um, but, but more, it, it's, it's not a helpful thing either because it points away from God's truth. It, it involves a lot of teaching to take back this symbol. Um, so mm. if we grab hold of them, the Pharisees washing of hands, uh, look, are you, are you pointing towards God's right ceremonial law? Or are you, you co-opting this and, and trying to, to replace it with something else that you think you can do better? Are you turning a mm. gift into a burden? Hmm. So to take, okay, so good use of tradition. Let me try to summarize a little bit. Good use of tradition is to confess what worship truly is, not to replace what worship is. So Absolutely. to hear the preaching of God's word, this is God-given worship and we dare not replace it. No. But to say, I have to come to worship on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Now... Now that is, as opposed to, say, Sunday evening at 6 p.m., that would be the tradition. Maybe maybe right. the tradition of Sunday morning is good because it reminds me of Christ's own resurrection on the first day of the week early in the morning. But to say that I must go to church then when God has not laid that down, that would be a, an overstepping of the tradition of man. Is that Absolutely. maybe just one example? Absolutely. And you can start to see this, and you even mentioned it yourself, that the good tradition points to the truth of the scriptures. The bad tradition points, well, against the truth of the scriptures. Um, we, we can then go through everything that we do inside of our church and every little tradition that we have, it teaches something. Ask your pastor what these things mean. He would love to tell you um, that the bad traditions are the ones that, that well, they, they 
confess something to be true that our Lord would say is false, or they confess something to be necessary that our Lord doesn't ever speak to. And in all of it, the only thing we end up pointing away from is, is Christ, who's actually trying to deliver to us the life and salvation given in these gifts. And and the reality of traditions is that we're always going to develop them. I, I think when you look at at any theological spectrum, right? It doesn't matter if you're Lutheran, Baptist, Methodist, you are going to develop a tradition. That's true even, even not in churches. People, when they gather together, they're going to develop traditions. And and so as, as we think about these things together as the church, the, the key is how do we confess what is true? How do we how do we make sure that we stay centered on what God has actually given, what he has commanded that is going to point us to Christ crucified and risen for us sinners, he is the savior and and to keep the traditions in their in their lane. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFUO. We're looking at the first part of Matthew chapter 15. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. On this Tuesday, February 25th, we're looking at Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 20, with Pastor Harrison Goodman of Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Pastor Goodman, prior to the break, we'd made it through verse 9, where Jesus quotes Isaiah against the scribes and Pharisees. And, and as he does that, then now he's going to widen his audience and, and go, go more generally now about, well, what, what is it? that truly defiles a person? How does, how does Jesus turn and, and talk to the crowds now? Right. It's not even just who he's talking to now. It's who he's not talking to anymore. Like to Jesus, mm. this discussion is over, which again has to be just maddening to the Pharisees and scribes who traveled all this way so they couldn't convince Jesus how to do his job better. Um, Jesus is just done with them. He just turns to the people and he starts to teach them, look, if you want to understand what is true about that which defiles a person. Um, It's not what goes into the mouth, it's what comes out of the mouth. And then he'll turn um, later to the disciples and he'll start to explain this more. Um, We see the kind of Jesus here that, uh, like, I just gotta be honest. Um, (laughs) If pastors today acted like Jesus does here, they might be considered bad pastors, uh, which probably (laughs) says more about us than it does about Jesus. Uh, But there's a point in time where Jesus here just says, this is not a profitable discussion to have anymore. If you want to understand what truth is, crowds who are hearing these false teachings, let me start to teach you. But he's not going to try and argue the Pharisees into submission here. He can silence them with his arguments, and he certainly does time and time again. Um, But if you notice, nobody's ever argued into belief. Faith comes by hearing the gospel, um, that, that the crowds who are gathered and, and hear Jesus preach would, would follow him around, some of them for wrong reasons, looking for signs and wonders. But as Jesus goes on to teach, he leaves the Pharisees behind and because he's not just going to engage in this discussion until they're satisfied with it. He, he shut it down and then he starts to go on to teach that which is good and that which should be upheld. Um, and that what comes out of the mouth is what defiles a person. It doesn't matter what you put into your mouth. That's not going to defile you. And that doesn't mean that God is unconcerned with uncleanliness. It doesn't mean that God doesn't think you can be defiled. It's that he's so abundantly concerned that he wants to attack the real issue. This isn't a a licentiousness to sin. This is a recognition of the full weight of the law for the purpose of justification in Christ and not in your works. Because if it's really just what you're putting into your mouth, that's a pretty simple thing. Like, just don't eat certain things. And and so, like, losing bacon's a bummer, but I, I think most of us would maybe probably survive. Uh, but when you, when you want to actually then hold a mirror up to my heart in, in that which is God's true and, and revealed law, no one stands righteous anymore. Um, I'm already defiled. And so this is not Jesus saying it doesn't matter what you do. This is saying everything matters so much because of what's already wrong with you. And if there's going to be help, it's clearly not going to come from you or what you do. So you should be looking to God for this. 
Hmm. And just to, to make the connection, so so Jesus hasn't left behind the topic that the Pharisees have brought up, but he's going to deliver the true meaning behind their topic in, in again, the way that, that he wants to deliver it. He's, he's left them behind. And, and he's going to teach now the truth in the face of the, the false doctrine. And the connection is unwashed hands for the Pharisees, right? That's what would have made you unclean. And so because this was all happening in the context of eating, that's why it turns to the topic of eating now. It, that's that's the correlation from one step to the other. But Jesus is going to give, well, he's going to give the goods here rather than sort of all this this mixture of falsehood and, and the traditions of men here's the real deal for you. And, and he's going to give it to the crowds, not the Pharisees. You get this, this strange, I don't know if strange, I, I'm never quite sure what to do with verse, verse 12 and the disciples like sort of tapping Jesus on the shoulder. Hey, hey Jesus, they don't like you. You, you know that, right? What, what's, <laughs> what's going on with this, this brief interaction between Jesus and his disciples there before he continues on with this teaching? Right. I, I mean, this has to be um, just sort of the realization that every pastor probably struggles with, at least at some point. Like if everybody's mad at you, they're not going to want to hear you. Um, do you understand that these offenses, uh, that these sayings are offensive? And, and I mean, well, you catch more flies with honey, Jesus. Um, but at the same time, um, what we recognize here isn't just that, um, well, if you're right, you're free to be as much of a jerk about it as you want. It all that matters <laughs> is that you're right, which is sadly where a lot of Lutherans, I think, might be taking this. Um, rather than that, recognize that there are blind guides. There are, are those who are bent on destruction, and then there are those who are not. If, if you are just dead set against God's word and truth, Jesus isn't going to to deal with you. Um, if you're willing to hear, he's willing to teach. But when we when we go to this thing, um, what we're not saying is be right no matter what you sound like. But we're saying that there are those who are so set against this thing um, that they're not going to hear anything. Um, and if they're not going to hear God's word, there comes a point where it's actually destructive to continue this conversation. Because all you really do is, is when you wrestle with a pig is, is get muddy. But well, the pig likes it. Uh, the Pharisees would love to have a, a long discussion about the traditions of the elders. But, well, where's Jesus in that? A and in the same way, um, you can find yourself sort of going round and round and round about what would seem to be a minor theological point, but it's turned into everything. And you know what you've forgotten to talk about is, well, God's actual law and gospel in this thing. Mm. Um, when, when Jesus is, is talking um, to, the, to the disciples then later, he's going to say, just let them alone. Um, it, it, I understand they're offended and, and I'm not out to offend them, but at the same time, well, Jesus calls himself the stumbling block. Like if you can do this whole Jesus thing without offending anybody, you're not giving the real Jesus anymore. It, it's turned into something else. Hmm. So what about what about the the blind that they're going to I mean Jesus cares about the blind that the Pharisees would lead into the pit though what I mean what's the what's the connection there that the blind guides leading the blind they're both going to fall into a, fit, a pit what what is Jesus what does he want his disciples to do with this He wants to recognize that if you want to attach yourself to this um you yourself are going to be worse off for it. Um, mm. that, that false doctrine is actually a destructive thing. When Jesus talks about the blind leading the blind and both falling into a pit, he has no joy that anybody falls into a pit, but a recognition that that false doctrine is dangerous stuff and it actually further corrupts other people. And so it actually matters who you're listening to here. He, he says, let the Pharisees and, and the, the, the scribes alone in this because, well, if all they're going to look into is, is themselves and their traditions, and you want to engage with that, uh, your your source for for edification has become already corrupt. How are you gonna How are you gonna find food in a fridge where everything's rotten? Uh, the catechism then talks to us about where we're supposed to receive our gifts. Um, we we recognize that the church has actually sent preachers and, and says, hear him as if God would speak through him. And it holds those preachers accountable to, to God's word um, as we understand it in our Lutheran confessions. And we're given this book uh, because we recognize that, well, there are going to be a lot of guys who, who think they have great ideas, but well, it, it, what if they're leading you the wrong way? 
uh, we as Lutherans have a wonderful, wonderful thing in our Book of Concord in, in that it saves us from ever having to reinvent the wheel or even necessarily being uh, too smart, which which is good for me. Um, I have this book right here that tells me exactly what it is to be a Lutheran, exactly how we've always understood the scriptures. And so if I think I've got a brand new idea and it's, it goes against what's in, in God's word, and, and as we ourselves, our traditions point to God's word, not apart from God's word, not in not even just sort of side by side, but God's word, but but as as we simply would relate to God's word and point to Jesus within it, I can know whether or not I'm on the right path or not, and so can my people. Uh, we have uh, in in our synod a, a wonderful reader's edition of the Book of Concord, so that our, our church elders, our, our lay people, can grab hold of the same confessions that we study, and they can say, "All right, Pastor, I've been a Lutheran all my life, and you you got something new here. Show me." And we actually get a chance then to engage in something other than well, you and your traditions, or, or me and my traditions, let's go to God's word. Let's go to how we as a church have understood it. Uh, because if all we want to do is, is learn from, you know, ourselves or our hearts or our own self-discovery, I will always come up with other ideas than God because I'm an idolater. I will always convince myself that I have a better or safer or easier way to do this because I don't want to be justified in my, in my old Adam by God. I want to be justified by my works. And so only in hearing God's word can old Adam die so that the new man might actually cling to God word and, and and strive to do that which he actually calls good and laudable. It actually does matter where you learn from. The blind leading the blind will only hurt both people. And so, I, I mean, to you listeners out there, I, I would say, you know, don't just go to the Christian section of the bookstore and grab anything with a cross on it. Actually question who it is that you're learning from. Recognize that the Pharisees and the scribes looked very, very religious to the crowds. And Jesus is actually so concerned for the crowds that he sets aside the Pharisees because they're bound and determined to go into that pit anyway. And he actually starts trying to save them. And he says, look, look and see God's truth. Look and see not only God's ceremonial law and how it points to me, but God's moral law and how it stands forever. Look and see where there is, is mercy because you are not going to be able to fulfill this thing on your own. Jesus isn't just trying to win the argument. He, he's trying to help the people in need of help. Hmm. The, so the confessions of the church then, that, that would be a helpful way forward, it seems, for us who, who on the one hand don't just want to be right. I mean, this the goal is not just to be right and to, to win the argument and put the other guy in his place. But we also want to avoid the error of the blind leading the blind. It seems this, this use of confession and, and the confessions as you laid them out in the book of Concord, right? That's, that's a way forward for us so that we would care about those who, who need to see the truth without just trying to win an argument. Right. I love to win because it makes me look great, but actually helping somebody else. That's the harder thing. Um, and, and Jesus here, he, he shows the distinction. He could win the argument with the Pharisees and just keep wailing on them. But he just turns after he, he's, he silenced them so that they can't continue to hurt the people around them. He sets aside this whole thing and he, and he starts trying to help. Um, to, to win is about me. To help is about your neighbor. And, and those are different discussions. They really are. Hmm, hmm. So Peter, though, it, it seems, Peter and I would assume the other apostles as well don't quite get what jesus is laying down either they say explain the parable to us what is the parable that that maybe is an odd what par parable did jesus tell what what's peter asking um he, he's asking uh, about um that which which goes into the mouth versus that which comes out of the mouth um and he, he says, you know, explain it to us. And, and so whether or not he, he's just sort of grabbing hold of all the other disciples and said, none of us, or, or whether or not he was sort of sent as their mouthpiece, I, I think um, this is recorded for us so that we would actually have this, this saying explained to us um, so, so that we would actually start to recognize um, where, where true um, holiness comes from. And I think that Peter is wrestling with the ceremonial law and the moral law because he, he sort of grabs hold of, well, the Pharisees line of thinking. Um, that, that these two things um, are exactly the same. And quite frankly, we have the same issue today where you have somebody who, you know, watched half of a YouTube video and so they're convinced they're an expert then on everything the scriptures has ever said and said, well, I saw you eat a shellfish, so clearly you don't care about God's law. Let's just set aside that whole sixth commandment and the adultery business. And so I don't understand why you're for any kind of um, chastity when, when, you, when, when you eat shellfish because they are the exact same. Peter's wrestling with sort of the same thing, but Jesus is not trying to pit the ceremonial law against the moral law. The ceremonial law is not even relaxed yet. Um, 
but Jesus Pastor Goodman, if you if you could just I'm, I don't I hate to interrupt you, but could you no, just to define those terms for a ceremonial law and moral law? What what is the distinction that you're describing, and then and then take us into what what's going on here? Absolutely. I'm sorry. That's helpful. So the ceremonial law are all of those extra things that you see in the Old Testament that talked about how they worshiped. And so um, quite frankly, more often than not, they're sort of the the ones that you don't see practiced today anymore. Um, so the ritualistic cleansings, the the sacrifices, uh, the, the well, the eating and, and forbidding of, of eating certain foods. These are the ceremonial laws. And these things are, are pointing to Jesus and they are actualized in Jesus. The moral law, well, that's the laws that govern morality. That's the Ten Commandments. And those things don't ever pass away, which is why you're free to eat shellfish. But the Sixth Commandment is still the Sixth Commandment. The question about adultery is it, still relevant today. Um, but we still ourselves, because we want to be justified by our works, sort of mush the two into a pot and, and mix them together and, and at best pick and choose which to do and at worst just cast the whole thing off. Um, but Jesus is never intending to pit the ceremonial law against the moral law. And, and this is, I think, where Peter's struggling. Well, he says, wait, so are you saying we can just eat anything we want? Because you said earlier, I, I remember, Lord, um, my, my fathers have taught me the teachings of Moses. You can't just eat anything that you want. In fact, there are things that you can eat that make you unclean. Uh, he, he's sort of wrestling with the idea that that he can be righteous by by his works. And Jesus isn't trying to pit one of these things against the other. He, he doesn't, for example, abandon the Sabbath day, but he teaches that the Sabbath day is fulfilled in Christ. And, and in the same way, um, that which you eat and drink that, that would pollute or defile or, or sustain you, um, again, it, it is fulfilled in, in Christ. Uh, ultimately, we can even go to, to his body and blood, which you are commanded to eat, uh, which when received in right faith, do great good. Um, when we say the ceremonial law teaches of Jesus, we recognize then when Jesus comes, the ceremonial law passes away, but the moral law still stands. And the moral law is the one that, that condemns us all the more. Because if the moral law still stands, the Ten Commandments still stand, Jesus says, look, look at what's coming out of your heart. And he goes on then to explain this parable to say, look at all the things that are coming out of your heart. These are not simply questions of, of how you might perform some ceremony to, to be righteous. Look at what's in your heart. And, and then he goes through the second table of the law. He goes fifth commandment, sixth commandment, seventh commandment, eighth commandment. Um, and he says, these things are what defile a person. The evil thoughts, the murder, the adultery, the sexual immorality, the theft, the false witness, the slander. These things have not and will not pass away because, well, when, when you sin, it breaks stuff. When you sin, it hurts the people around you and it, it sets you farther away from me. When, when you want to, to sort of pick and choose among these things, what you're really only trying to do is justify yourself. And in all of it, recognize that that right there is what sets you against me, not whether or not you washed your hands or not. So if you want to be set against me, understand the pit and, and what's coming. But if you also understand your depravity in light of the law, we can actually start to look then to hope in Christ who all along is saying, look, I'm going to bear your sins on the cross. Look, I'm going to go into Jerusalem and on the third day rise again from the dead after being crucified. Look, this is not going to be, um, well, there, there's not going to be salvation found in you. The salvation is me for you. Hmm. The disciples here, it, it may be just a brief thought on this, Pastor Goodman. When Peter questions Jesus, his res Jesus' response to Peter is a, a bit, harsh? I don't, are you still without understanding? What's he, uh, what, what's wrong with Peter here? Or, or is Jesus just, I don't know, what, what do you, what do you read from that? I mean, this isn't the first time that this kind of thing would have come up. I, I understand that, that, um, the, the problem that, that Jesus seems to have here is a short temper, but we also know our Lord is without sin. We also know that mm -hmm. these things that he's saying, um, they're, they're not the way that I sort of get short and lose my temper with my kids or, 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 or even my confirmands when I've taught them this like five times now and they're still not following along. What, what Jesus takes issue with um, it isn't necessarily strictly in Peter, but in the danger of the false doctrine. Um, in the idea that, that you would continue to try and justify yourself by your works. Jesus has no extra room uh, or, or time for those things which point away from salvation in him. And it's not ego and, and it's not you know self-aggrandizement that, that does this it's just a recognition look if you really want to go down this path this is going to hurt you a lot you've got to pay attention if you want to keep doing this if you want to keep ignoring all the teachings it's going to hurt you and so he even then gives a, a pretty graphic um explanation um 
again, to just sort of get Peter's attention. He says, look, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth and passes into the stomach and is expelled, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. In other words, he compares uh, the food that goes all the way through you to what's already in your heart. And he says, now, which one is actually the more unclean thing? Um, that, that what's actually coming out of your heart is far more defiling than, than what comes out of, well, the other end of your mouth. He's painting a picture of spiritual uncleanness that over and over and over again, all of us, not just Peter, but all of us turn a blind eye to, and in doing so, um, start to, to go down a dangerous path and, and more often than not try and collect others to go along down with it. it it's, it's amazing to me how, how this same tendency that Peter has here is still evident within us today. And, and so tell me if, if you think this is a, a a worthwhile way of thinking about it. In in our world today, there are many, maybe I'll call them vices, that are very much looked down upon. So if you, if you buy a soda that's too big, in some places, that's <laughs> like the worst thing that you can do, right? But when it comes to matters of who can marry who, or, or what marriage is, or, or vices and sins that are far worse, it, it seems that those, well, that's not so bad. So it, it doesn't seem that we've escaped all that far from the same problem Peter had. Right. Is that, is that I mean, one way? I mean, is that the same idea? Absolutely. It, it completely is. And if you recognize it, too, you, you can understand um, the gravity behind it, it is um, not just in that soda is silly and marriage is important, but it, it's that our hearts are so set on justifying ourselves by our works that when we, sa- when we see uh, the fullness of God's law set before us and we recognize just how hard it is, we start looking for easier laws. Um, because, like, I might not like the fact that I can't order an 80-ounce soda, but at the same time, recognize that the people who struggle with, for example, the same-sex attraction, this is a lifelong burden for them, especially in light of the, the faith that which calls us to, to chastity and purity. Um, it, it's it's easier to sort of dumb down these laws or even just pick, you know, different ones to, to go after. Um, like, well, the Pharisees and scribes or, or like the the ridiculousness of our day but jesus is um he's pointing towards a tougher law not an easier law when he when he points back to the heart um and in all of it the the problem is that that we're convinced as long as we buy the right size soda we're fine with god and and we ignore everything else that's going on and again this isn't saying that the, the sinners who have hearts full of unclean things can't be saved this isn't saying that those who struggle with same-sex attraction can't be saved. This is saying they're not going to be saved by their works. This is saying they're not going to be saved by buying the right size soda or washing their hands the right way. They're going to be saved by Jesus. And so rather than trying to impress him by doing something different, they might hear his word and receive his gifts of forgiveness, of mercy, uh, by recognizing that, that, well, first and foremost, they need it, and he offers it. Hmm. Why you, you said Jesus is, is giving a tougher law here. Why, why a tougher law? Why is that necessary? The tougher law is necessary because old Adam has to die. Um, and only once old Adam dies will we finally stop trying to justify ourselves apart from God's gift of, of, of gospel. Um, the, the, old, the, the tougher law is, 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 well, in this case, tougher because look, it's a question of the heart. Um, you can buy the right size soda or even just not be allowed to buy the right size soda. But the question of what's in your heart is well, harder to escape. And so even inside of um, America right now, um, our, our church body has, has struggled immensely with, with uh, what civil laws have, have changed in, in regards to marriage into over the last, what, 10 years. Uh, but the truth is, even when gay marriage was not legal, there were still people who struggled with this attraction. And so simply by saying, well, since it's illegal, obviously there, there's no people who struggle with this particular sin here and everybody is justified by their works, that's foolishness. So instead, look to your hearts and recognize that even, even if should you not be allowed to outwardly act on it, you still have an inward problem where you're, you're lusting after it. Um, and in all of it, if, if you think that simply by, you know, not actually shooting the person when you hate him in your heart, you're fine with this guy. Uh, that's, that's, well, if you hate him, you're not fine with him. Jesus is pointing to a tougher law that can't be fulfilled because, well, we are sinners um, whose hearts are, are corrupted by original sin handed down from Adam so that we, we would actually start to look for help outside of ourselves. The reason that he gives it is, is it's to kill us, so that we would be made alive in him. Hmm. 
And, and of course, with with all of these things, you know, the matter of sodas is is silly, like you said, and and then the the matter of of same sex attraction is is a very serious matter. But but even as we we talk about those things, and and probably, you know, why did I bring those two examples up? Those are the first two that came to mind. But but they're also two that I'm able to keep at arm's length myself. That that I man, I don't have a problem with that all that much. And and that's that too is one of the dangers here that Jesus would would have us examine our own hearts, not, not just to consider the sins that, that I don't have a problem with, but what sins do I have a problem with? Which, where, where are these, these sins showing up in me? Not just the ones out there, but the ones in me. And I, I need that, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and it's, it's always our temptation to sort of pick three or four sins that I'm pretty sure nobody here is actually committing. And, and so um, if I know I don't want to get yelled at after a sermon, I know which three sins I can talk about. And I can grab hold of, for example, abortion and, and gay marriage and, and maybe like terrorism or something, because I'm pretty sure when I look it out in my crowd, nobody here is suffering under those things, even though if you look at the statistics, uh, they most certainly are. Your people most certainly are struggling with with all of these sins, um, but if if you can at least convince yourself outwardly everybody's fine, you don't have to deal with your own sins. You don't have to to deal with people who are actually crushed by the law and might need mm. the gospel. Um, and so in, in all of it, to, to examine the fullness of, of the tenets of the law, as Jesus walks through the second table here, um, he, he's going after the things that, that we see inside of all of us. Um, the murder, the evil thoughts, the adultery, the sexual immorality, the theft, the false witness, the slander. Um, these aren't even purely outward actions. Um, the, these are actions that, like our Lord says, are dwelling within every last heart, even if they might exhibit themselves under different tendencies and in different forms and practices from person to person. Every last single person struggles with every one of these commandments in one way, shape, or form or another. And so if you want to just sort of pick three outward forms of it and say, well, I don't have that problem, so I'm all right with Jesus, but the problem here is you. Well, all the, the only thing that you're doing is you're trying to get yourself farther from the cross where your sins are being forgiven. Pastor Goodman, with just about a minute and a half left here, give us a a summary and point us back to the good news that is ours in Christ in the midst of all of this sin and uncleanness. The summary of this this, uh, passage is is a recognition that there are going to be both good traditions and bad traditions, but only because there is one truth. Uh, The the bad traditions that Jesus uh, condemns here are the ones that would stand against God's word and promise. And the good traditions that that we uphold are the ones that point to God's word and promise. It's not that all tradition is bad. It's that there is one truth and that truth is good. And that is what must be upheld. So much so that everything that does not point to this must must be cast out. And that truth is simply this. If you want to be justified by works of the law, it's going to go bad for you. By works of the law, no one will be justified. But your Lord, your your merciful Lord has come to fulfill this law that you have failed to uphold, and he has fulfilled it for you. He has borne the cross for you to forgive you your sins, to forgive you your heart, and to, through the waters of baptism, rip out that old heart of stone and give to you a, a heart of flesh sprinkled clean with living water, as Ezekiel says. The hope that we have is not in our outward behavior, not in our outward traditions, but always, always, always in Christ who is crucified for you. Pastor Harrison Goodman is the pastor at Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas, helping us this morning with Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. Pastor Goodman, thank you for your time today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithfield, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.